This episode of the Lunch Break Podcast is brought to you by the sales developers. They believe that outbound sales requires a consistent commitment to the process, and they understand the tedious and time-consuming task of sourcing, hiring, and onboarding new sales talent. Besides providing premium quality contact data, outbound prospecting services, and expert consulting to consistently fill your sales buckets, they have built the ultimate sales enablement tool, UpLevel. It lets you uplevel your skills by managing all of your playbooks and scripts in one place. Still writing your favorite opening lines on sticky notes? Are your training and guides in a hundred different folders? Do you wish you had a way to develop a playbook to actually enable your team? With UpLevel, you can easily do it all. Whether you're a rep or a leader, your job just got a whole lot easier. Start for free today and you can go to thesalesdevelopers.com backslash UpLevel. You are now tuned in to the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 27 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. My name is James Bodden, and John Selig is my guest for episode 27, folks. John is a professional salesperson. He's a stand-up comedian, and he's currently spending his days working with sales teams to help them inject humor into their outreach. John and I talk about everything from how he got started in sales, working at places from everything from a startup all the way to a corporate enterprise environment, and how all of that has shaped how he works with sales teams to help them make more human connections with their next best customers. But If you don't have time to listen to the entire episode right now, I totally get it. You might have to get back to your desk. You're just taking a quick break. So I'm going to serve up a snack break sales tip from John Selig. Take a listen. What is a sales tip that a rep can hear from you and then maybe go try out when they get done listening to this short snippet? I don't know if it's a sales tip, but it's... um... You know, as, as my alter ego likes to say quite often on my video series, Second Opinion, this is a life tip. Um, yes. I think a big challenge today is that people aren't expressing themselves with words. People express themselves with photos, with selfies, maybe uh, an emoji, mm-hmm. uh, an acronym. But those acronyms are words. They come from words. And those words are meant to express certain things. And so I think a great idea for everybody to do is just take take their customer's problem and just write then, you know, your script is allowing you to. And, and just, I don't know, go through one of the case studies on your website and just learn everything about that prospect and what they were struggling with and find five different ways to say it. Build up your own vocabulary, your own ability to speak to humans because I go to a lot of websites and I mean, we're living in this, this jargon buzzwordy driven age and I know marketing and sometimes sales leadership thinks this is the language we need to use. Yeah. But our customers and our prospects, they're, they're just not, they might mean all that stuff, but they're not necessarily saying it yeah. at, at a human level. So learn how to break things down in a more human, relatable way. Try and get rid of all the buzzwords, unless it's just this super impactful one that you know is necessary. I'm not telling you to scrub everything. Yeah. But you know, if we look at terms like uh, 
enhancement and engagement and um you know i don't know what other no other buzzwords are springing <laughs> to mind but like uh just figure out how go to the thesaurus and find like 10 new ways to say things yeah and just learn how to say it at that more human level and that that's just the biggest thing i think that um younger sales reps in particular uh it's a skill that they should really work on you know two three times a week yeah um you know just even journalizing maybe get off a call talk about what went right what went wrong what did they tell you use their language my in short i think people need to express themselves a little bit more um and we have all the tools in the world to do it whether it's voice notes on our phones whether it's a, a word doc mm-hmm. just a pen and paper grab a pad journalize yeah. and i encourage people to do that and just just free write just don't stop just get it all out there absolutely awesome snack break sales tip from john selig so look i get it if you got to get back to your desk go get it have a great rest of your day listen when you can and for everybody that's sticking with me i'm assuming that you have at least a minute to spare so before we kick this thing off with john i am going to have the first ever mindful minute from the mindful sales rep himself keith cordero Breathe in, breathe out, and take a listen. This is Keith Cordero with The Mindful Minute, brought to you by The Mindful Sales Rep. In sales, we are inundated with stressful moments throughout our day, whether it be something as simple as handling an objection by a client or striking out call after call during prospecting. Our days can quickly go south without the appropriate mindset. Allowing ourselves five minutes to simply count our breaths in the morning or before starting a challenging task is an excellent way to cultivate mindfulness. Not only will it allow us to calibrate our mind for the immediate task at hand, but implementing this practice into our daily routine will produce reverberating effects throughout all areas of our lives. Try this today. Turn your phone on, do not disturb, set a timer for five minutes, sit in a comfortable position, allow yourself to breathe normally and count your breath. One for the inhale and two for the exhale. When your mind starts to wander as it naturally will, don't meet the distraction with frustration or judgment. Simply bring your attention back to the breath and begin counting again. Good luck. And there you have it. The first ever mindful minute from the mindful sales rep, Keith Cordero. It is time to kick off episode 27 of the Lunch Break Podcast with John Selig. Let's go. John Selig, everybody. Selig, how, how, how do you pronounce your name, John? I forgot to clarify that. Selig, got it. Mm. John Selig is mm. on episode 27 of the Lunch Break Podcast. John, thanks for mm. coming on the show. Thank you for having me. John is somebody who, when I first saw, so this is my, one of my clearest memories of John. And it was when we first started interacting on LinkedIn and I checked him out saw his comment on something and checked out his profile. And then 
I don't know, maybe a day later, sometime in the in the soon after I, I did that, I got this message from John that said something to the effect of, hey, James, you've been caught viewing my profile. Just it, it, And it was just such a unique message that I had never gotten from anybody on LinkedIn after I viewed their profile. And it, I mean, I immediately, if we weren't already connected at that point, I definitely connected with you. That's like one of my fondest memories of you, John, is, is, is that first interaction. And I think that just kind of speaks to the way that you approach what you do on LinkedIn. So happy to have you here on the show, man. No, thank you for having me. And as a further penalty for viewing my profile, um, you are forced to have me as a guest on your podcast. That's the penalty. You're going to pay the price for viewing my profile by having me as a guest on your podcast. It's like the jelly of the month club. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's good. It's great to know. It's really validating that, um, you know, we have that short window to make that first impression with people and, uh, that, that using humor, um, and saying something that's different out of the ordinary really leaves an impact on some people because until you actually posted, uh, on LinkedIn that people should, should view my profile and see what happens. I didn't realize that that joke was, um, you know, connecting with people. I mean, I, I do get a lot of people who accept my request. A lot of people just accept it and that's all. And I have a couple of people who go guilty as charged, love to connect. <laughs> so some people, so, so I know that the joke, some people like it. I just didn't realize that it, it, it's, it left such an impact on you. Yeah. Well, I think that it did for a couple of different reasons and namely because it was just so different. It was a pattern interrupt. It was, it instantly made you uh, uh, not only like a human, but also like somebody who had a little bit of personality too. And so I think that's what a lot of people struggle with on social and definitely in sales. And so explain to us how, how you got started in sales and how, how you have become this sales guru that you are today, sir. <laughs> Please strike that from the record. I'm not any kind of guru, but I will tell I you. I said it that, on purpose. Yeah, I know. Uh, God, <laughs> no, I just want to make sure that uh, people, if, if people couldn't detect the sarcasm in James's voice, I just wanted to make sure that they fully understood that, A, uh, I don't view myself that way, and B, that he admitted that it was full sarcasm. So I'm, I'm good with all that. So my, um, my path to sales began in the womb. Um, I was, it was really right after the point of conception. I'm just like, I want to grow up and sell, uh, enterprise solutions to, um, CFOs and CIOs who are seeking robust reporting and analytics. Uh, it was, it's just an early stage dream, which just evolved, um, after a series of, um, failures in other areas or, or really, um, no clear direction. Uh, so, you know, I remembered after a bunch of failings that, oh yeah, I remember back in the womb, I wanted to, to be, uh. Uh, B2B sales, a tech sales rep. And so I, so I immediately decided to pursue that dream and fulfill it, uh, getting a job um, at Oracle as, an, as a, you know, an SDR, a business development consultant, I called back then, BDC. Um, BDC. And yeah, BDC. Uh, it's not really alphabetically correct. There seems to be some pattern to rub there. Um, From the onset. Exactly. And um, I, I, I took that role in all seriousness because I sort of, you know, like I said, I, I graduated with an MBA at a pretty young age. I wanted to be in marketing, 
but in the late 90s when you wanted to be in marketing, you either needed to be in sales as an account executive at an agency or, and, and really that's the kind of work I wanted to do. I wanted to be working at an advertising agency, but I wanted to be the guy who came up with all kinds of creative copy and ideas yeah. and thoughts. And, and I had proven that through um, a university, uh, an inter-university advertising competition I was part of. As part of a group, we were doing a campaign um, competing against other universities for Bell Canada, the okay, big, yeah. big telecommunications provider. Yep. And it was all about uh, targeting small entrepreneurs who work at home. And the, I came up with the slogan, Bell works at home for you. And the rest of the team kind of did all the work with putting together the graphics and a lot of the heavy lifting. But like, I was the guy who came up with the thing that really won us the competition. We were supposed to get internships. And that turned out to be quite a lie. So Ooh. I had to go, yeah, I had to go back to the drawing board and um, kind of like I was applying to advertising agencies in Toronto. I said, hey, I was part of a team that won an inter-university advertising competition. Uh, and I came up with a big gotcha moment with it all. Why don't you hire me? And like, no one cared. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely nobody cared. So I ended up, uh, ended up, um, you know, finishing, starting and finishing an MBA, but also working in some marketing um, leaving the program a little bit to go take some some marketing jobs uh, with with Royal Bank of Canada, Canada's largest bank. It was more you know classic grunt work, putting together stuff, uh, project management. Yeah, nothing super creative. Kind of organizing the creative people. Uh, and long story short, I ended up at a couple of startups. Dot com that that was just a ridiculous joke. Um, <laughs> ended up at a startup consulting firm that went on to be successful, but I kind of didn't have any hard skills. Um, learned a lot about stuff like ERP and that's ultimately how I ended up at Oracle. Yeah. They were hiring, um, mass doing mass hiring for their first stage of their first group of, you know, business development consultants, SDRs. And uh, I was told your job is to cold call, uh, enterprise accounts and try and line up meetings for our enterprise sales, um, application sales reps. And at first I was like, kind of like cold calling, no way. But then I was like, you know what? I can do this. The results, um, the, the objectives are very clear. Yeah. And I think I can get results to meet those objectives. And I want to be measured in a very um, predictable way. No, I mean, I think, so <clears throat> what, what's interesting is it's, I always like hearing how people feel about that. Because I feel like the folks who, who started their career in environments like that, where everything was very measured and very structured, they they maybe eventually want to get away from that and would die to work at a startup where things are just kind of like making it up as you go along and nobody knows what success looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear that you, you kind of had that experience, but on the flip side, you know, you kind of done it a few different types of things and, and it sounded like, you know, the, the startup world kind of showed you one side of what it's like uh, to operate under those kind of circumstances. And then, when you get to a place like Oracle, I mean, that, that's a machine. Well, take one step back. I had actually worked for Royal Bank of Canada in marketing. That was, that was my first real, real, real job. Yeah. Sort of, I left my MBA to go work for them and do all kinds of project management stuff. And, uh, you know, on the marketing side, I helped launch um, the Canada's first um, banking machine for the visually impaired, mm. um, which has voice files, which has become a standard across the globe today. So I'm pretty proud of that project. But then after yeah. having worked at a large organization, you're like, oh, I want to go work at some plucky startups. And <laughs> so I did that. A, you had all of it. <laughs> yeah. I had seen all of it. And I, after working at two startups, I'm like, uh, oh, one, again, one, 
One was a complete failure. They had gone public actually by the time I got there, but mm. it was the dot-com days of just people raising money and then just flying around and going for fancy dinners in New York yeah. City. Like that was a big part of what was happening. And then bottoming um, out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like one day being told, yeah, we're shutting things down here because we have no money. Um, and then going to work for a startup that wasn't quite that classic startup like we've talked about. It was, it was started by very successful entrepreneurs. Um, they were moving into a bit of a sort of a similar business to their old one, but um, they had to take a new slant on things. And they succeeded. They actually, in the long term, succeeded. I just wasn't a good fit there. Um, so I had been through two types of startups, just a, a joke. One that was ended up being a, a success, but I didn't fit, and a, and a large enterprise um, traditional business, tra traditional corporation. So I had seen a few things by the time Oracle got their claws into me. And I just was craving um, some stability, some direction, and some um, clear uh, objectives on how I can be successful and clear targets. And after one year as, a, as an SDR slash you know, cold caller, I moved into an inside sales role there. And that was a whole <laughs> different ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was gonna be my next question. So you, you get to a place like Oracle, you spend a year kind of on the front lines taking mm -hmm. care of business and then moving into that inside sales role how how had all of your experience up to that point help you move forward in that role and kind of beyond mm. i was um pretty fortunate it was i don't know if my experience i, I did i did what they asked of me mm -hmm. but i did have an advantage over all my peers at oracle um fun fact uh, I speak French mm. and I'm from Montreal originally and I was working in Toronto. So because I spoke French, I always worked with um, sort of the Quebec field sales team Yeah, because they wanted someone who could at least open doors in French. As a result, I was also given Ontario a, a separate territory. Mm. So I was actually the only guy who had two territories. Wow. So I had two regional managers. I had, you know, <laughs> Uh, everyone else had kind of like five uh, field sales reps that they dealt with and one inside sales rep. I had two, two full teams to deal with. So like always wow. like working with a dozen reps, two regional managers tugging at you, two inside reps, but, but ultimately 12 field reps who were like my clients. Yeah. So I always had this double workload, but where that benefited me was um, funny. I was joking about coughing before, but I'm really coughing now. <laughs> Karma. Sorry. Yeah, totally. Uh, choking on the, the nuts in my salad. So um, what benefited me to be, and this is, this is just a bit of um, a lesson about how luck and circumstance factors into careers, but, yeah. but also just, you know, I guess if I hadn't spoken French, I wouldn't have gotten Quebec. If I wouldn't have been assigned Quebec, I wouldn't have found Ontario. And Ontario, that field team sat in the same building. So I got to build a really good relationship with the, with the regional manager there of the field team, as well as the field reps. And when it was time for, when a vacancy opened up on the inside team, that regional manager just called up the head of inside sales and said, this is the guy I want to be my new inside rep because, <clears throat> because I was delivering for him. Yeah. But we had a great relationship on a face-to-face -face personal level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's, <clears throat> as I speak to folks that are maybe in the first few years of their career 
I think everybody understands that's important that you need to cultivate a positive reputation at work. Right. But I think what it really comes down to is like, how do you become that guy that is plucked out and said like, no, there's no, let's not even open this up. Like John's the guy we want. And, and it's because we know his work ethic. We know what he can do. There's already that level of, of work related familiarity and faith and, and ability, but then he's also a nice guy and we enjoy working with him. And, and yeah. I was having a conversation with, with, a former colleague just the other day and he was mentioning something that he heard about you know the ability for friends to get things done is much more than the ability of acquaintances to get things done so when there's a deeper level of of relationship like that face-to-face relationship how how much do you think that played into into him saying you know there's no there's no question john needs to be the guy was it was it that deeper level, do you think, or what do you? So, so, you know, something we haven't framed is that I've been a stand-up comedian for eight years, and uh, I'm also older than a lot of the folks who kind of are grinding it out. And I hate that term, but but that's a term that comedians use too: grind and hustle, blah blah blah. Yeah. But um, you know, since I started doing what I'm doing, which is help sales teams uh, understand how they can use humor and how to craft it, that's a business, and I'm away from sort of that more day-to-day networking scene within stand-up comedy and um sometimes i'll be like wow no one no one's asking me to be on a show and i was talking to a a colleague within the comedy scene and he's like well you're not you're not showing up Mm. people aren't seeing your face and you know it's quite amazing while i'm not showing my face at stand-up comedy open mics and little showcases um i am showing my face at uh, aisp meetups or modern sales pro meetups and people see my content and they're like, Oh man. And, and I walked into a, to a, um, a Boston AISP meetup uh, in June. And I had been to Boston about four or five times in the previous yeah. year and a half. And people like, I realized I know half the room, not, not from LinkedIn, from meeting them in person. Mm. And that is really powerful. So to answer your question, um, I think just, you know, obviously you need to, um, cultivate a positive image of yourself and what you can do, but you need to, you need to be present. Yeah. And we live in this inside sales, digital sales world where people are trying so hard to just jack up the, the noise, the, the volume of activity, Yeah. but it, it doesn't always connect. And I'm, I'm trying to wonder how do we dial things back so that, that being present can be part of things a little bit more. Um, and that leads to higher yield activities um, in terms of, let's say you go to a conference and let's say you, let's say you collect 30 business cards. Is it better to farm those 30 business cards than to blast out 600 cold emails? Yeah. And again, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point about um, just that the humanity is, is kind of being taken away a little bit. And I get it. Everyone's on tight budgets, but I think leaders need to think a little bit more about how can we, how can we get closer to our prospects and how do we get them to know who we are a little bit better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. And, and <clears throat> so a few, a few different things, and, and I'll kind of tackle the most on topic one first. One of the things that a company that I was recently a part of did was they would hold these little like local dinners. They would just 
find, uh, reserve a few tables at a local restaurant and then invite people in the area to come in and just kind of have a normal conversation. It's the further away that we get from that kind of interaction on a day-to-day -day basis, it makes events like that so much more powerful. And I saw it from a result standpoint of, okay, so we invited 30 people to this event. I've sent 300 emails this, this week. We have five conversations that are going to happen next week as a result of the event. And I've got nothing from my emails. People have opened it. I've got lots of opens and maybe even a few forwards. So, I mean, there, there is a, I mean, I've seen it. There's a stark difference in, in the velocity of a sales interaction when it's started in a, in a human way. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, again, I say this every time I speak to a sales team, but and it's corny, it's cliche, it's been said for 100 years, but people buy from people. Yep. Um, you know, unless, unless it's really transactional stuff, but ultimately, if you're selling higher ticket items, people want to know, can I trust the people who are providing me with the information on why I should buy? Um, do I, can I look them in the eye? And when I write them a check or send them a, you know, some sort of electronic payment, am I going to get value? And can I call them up and have them fix problems when things aren't going well. And people yeah. want that assurance. So um, having, having a dinner, having a drink, having a coffee with people face to face is, is this lost thing. And I, and I get it. It's not always feasible. It's not yeah. cost effective in a lot of cases. And I'm not trying to say that uh, we should just go back to the days of um, Don Draper, where every inside <laughs> rep has an account and just goes and wines and dines everybody. That's not economically feasible at all. But we need to figure out how do we find that balance between inside activities and allowing sales reps to develop their personalities and ability to relate to their prospects on a, on a one-to-one -one basis, ideally in person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about that is I wholeheartedly believe that what you're doing now, which is something that I definitely want to cover what you're doing and how you're helping sales teams I think is, is, greatly helping with that gap because the reality is we're most likely going to be on the phone or we're most likely going to be communicating via email or a LinkedIn message. What you do with sales teams is teach them how to be a little bit more themselves, a little bit more human. And I'd love to hear about how you got to the point that you're at now and, and talk about how you work with uh, all sorts of different types of sales teams across the across the world. You know what? I don't want to say I teach um, sales reps to be themselves because I don't know who they are to begin with, mm -hmm. but I am giving them some tools that can help them do it on their own. Um, Figure it out. Yeah. And so look, we, we live in an era where let's face it, there's more funded tech companies than there are qualified salespeople, but yet each one of those, um, funded tech companies is told you got to scale within the next three years or else we're not giving you another trough of money. So everyone's just freaking out from the top down and that trickles down to our prospects and uh, activity met, uh, sort of activity quotas are placed on, you, you know, from founder to CRO to director of sales or biz dev all the way down to the individual reps on the phones and, and behind computer screens and prospects hear that desperation. They, they totally feel it and hear it because they're just getting hammered by these people. It's like, well, this, this doesn't make a ton of sense that you're, you're, you're harassing me and, and they get turned off. So there's something that's, you know, artificial about 
the way companies are trying to sell today. I don't know if artificial is the right word, but maybe unnatural. So I'm noticing that a lot of companies are just, you know, um, looking to, to scale their sales teams. And uh, it's really hard to hire good people. A lot of people have never thought of sales as a career, much like I didn't, and they've never been trained on it. Some people don't understand what sales is. When I started in my sales career and I moved from cold calling to sales, I thought my job was to sit behind a desk, put on a headset, put up my feet and wait for the phone to ring and me to say, how much software do you need? <laughs> you can get me money and I'll get you some electronic contract, which states that you now have access to a hundred more licenses of Oracle financials. Like that's what I thought the job was going to be. Yeah. And that's not at all how it worked. Um, so everyone is, you know, kind of in the dark. I think a lot of younger sales reps in particular, just, they don't, they don't really fully know what they're signing up for. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're, and there's a percentage who would know what they're signing up for and they're keen on it, especially kids coming out of um, colleges that have sales programs. I'm seeing yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're fine tuned. Like they, they know exactly what they're going in for and what they're signing up for. Um, but um, I'm seeing the big challenge is that there's not enough resources to teach people to sell um, and, and kind of do it in an effective manner. And so what I've decided to do was peel things back a little bit, go to back to some basics. Um, and rather than have, you know, SDRs and AEs speak in jargon, mm. it's like, let's understand first, what are the, what's the basic problem you're solving? Let's get you guys understanding that. Let's get you guys understanding why that problem impacts your prospect. And then ultimately expressing yourselves around those problems and reframing that as good old fashioned jokes. Because if I can, call up a prospect and say, Hey, I know you struggle with this problem. And here's a unique way to describe that problem in a way that gets their attention. Mm -hmm. um, it's a pattern interrupt, like we talked about earlier, but you're able to display subject matter expertise and credibility because you're relating to that prospect right at the gate. So I teach, I teach sales reps quite, quite, you know, I teach show them how comedy writing um, can be very impactful on how you deliver messages. And our goal is not just to express ourselves and go deep within our prospects' pains and show that and put ourselves in their shoes, but it's also to craft a couple of jokes that can be great to start conversations and show that credibility and get attention and get prospects going. That's funny because it's true. You, you know, you, I, I live that every day. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I, I think when I first came across what you were doing, it just made so much sense to me because I, I always found that if I could get them, you know, the person that I'm calling to, to laugh, even just a tiny bit, even if it's just like, I got to be so corny that I, you know, they've, they're laughing out of pity. It just, <laughs> it, it always change the the temperature i mean it may not have ever changed the outcome right because if somebody's not interested or it's the wrong person or it's the wrong time uh, being witty is not going to change that but the temperature of the conversation and their willingness to maybe help me out to figure out who i need to speak with or when it's the right time um it just completely seemed to change the game and so uh, a i think it's it's important that reps learn those skills because I think to your point, a lot of salespeople, including myself, didn't know what the heck we were getting into when, when you start in sales. And it, what happened 
with me for a long time was that when I would get to work and I would get ready to make cold calls, I, I felt like I had to assume this like more corporate identity or change and just be more rigid. And I think maybe that comes from just fear when you first start doing it and you, you're not sure. And so you just want to follow whatever the script is so you don't mess anything up. But you know, over the years of just doing it over and over and over again, I found when I can just, hey, I am calling completely out of the blue. You have no clue who I am. I'm just looking to see if you're even the right person to speak with. When I, when I speak to people like that, I mean, sometimes they even laugh at, at, at that, calling out of the blue, like, yeah, you sure are, guy. So I think what you do is so powerful. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make because it, uh. it changes the temperature of, of what can oftentimes be pretty, uh, pretty tense. People don't like having their day interrupted by you know, somebody that they don't know. So when, when you're working with these sales teams, do you see that people have a hard time getting past that corporate kind of suit they put on or facade they kind of seem to assume? I mean, because I know I've seen it with other people too, right? It's like you kind of turn into, hi, I'm James calling with ABC Corp. And, you know, it's like, it's not me. Yeah. And, and I, a common pattern I've seen among every sales team I've worked with um, on site is, you know, they work in little groups and I ask sales leaders to divide their, um, their team up into diverse groups. So break up the top performers and the poor performers, uh, the extroverts and the introverts, break up their social clicks, just, just mix them up as much as you can. And something I, something I see all the time is that in every group, there's someone who's just different than the others and is longing for this kind of stuff. And there's someone who is a little too stiff always. And then there's a couple who are in the middle and are kind of like, yeah, like, like I see what's going on here and this is fun. And this is a great way to like kind of challenge how we're currently saying things. There's always going to be people who are stuck in their habits. Sure. There's always going to be prospects that if you deliver the most bulletproof joke to them that touches on their pain or, or why they struggle with it, they're just going to be like, uh, okay. <laughs> Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Cause look, as I've been doing stand for eight years and I have a joke that I, um, start all my, um, big sets off with, I'm not going to reveal it here cause it's part of just what I do very often. Um, but I, I it, it's a nine out of 10 money joke, but yeah. one out of 10 times there's going to be an audience who's like, we're not buying that. <laughs> and I've learned to just let that, let that roll like off my back. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's an important lesson to learn, especially, you know, especially when you're interacting with prospects because, you know, there's, there's no silver bullet. And so that means that there's really no bad outcome. There's really no, I mean, so what? They didn't laugh. Okay. Carry on with what else you need to say. Yeah. If, if someone doesn't want to laugh, there's probably a good chance they're just not open to your call anyway. Yeah. You're finding out valuable information. This person doesn't like the phone. Maybe they'll, en maybe they'll enjoy a clever email. Who knows? But or now they, they know some more about them. <laughs> or, or maybe they just suck altogether. And that happens. Like we're not yeah. going to get everyone, we're not gonna get everyone to laugh at a joke, to, to listen to us. Maybe they're just closed-minded people who don't buy from anybody. And that, that happens. There's people out there who are just impossible to deal with. And unfortunately, 
as reps or, or SDRs or whatever, we're going to have to deal with those people too. And they just mm -hmm. shouldn't end up on our forecast. Yeah. And again, valuable information all the way around. I think the more that we can get away from focusing on how many meetings did you set or how many qualified opportunities did you create and more about how many conversations did you have where you found out that this list of people isn't going to buy for the next six months because they're locked into a contract. You know, unless we figure out a way to get these people out of a legally binding contract, then let's not even bother them. Right. I mean, so it, it just helps. It's all helpful because when you're operating at the top of the funnel and with today's marketplace, uh, you you know, people talk about cold calling is dead. And I think it comes from, you know, you need as much information as possible about who you're trying to move through your sales process in order to do it effectively. Yeah. And the good news is it's all out there. Yeah. Well, and humor is a way to take that guard down and, and get somebody to give you some information that they might not have given somebody who didn't take the time to research the type, you know, the problems that they have every day and reframe it in a way that is going to put a smile on their face. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other point about um, what you were you were asking me earlier. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely all these people um, who take themselves quite seriously in their career, <laughs> and uh, you know they're married to certain messaging. And I'm not trying to change those people, mm -hmm. but I am hoping them. I am hoping that you know if something's not working for them, um, that they could have at least reflect on perhaps ways to loosen up. Yeah, if not being super hilarious, but maybe. Maybe we can't get them telling jokes with immaculate timing, but maybe we could just let get them loosening up on their script or using some new words through through what I offer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely those people out there who are just very rigid. And, um, you know, we all work with those people. And I think people who can make their prospects laugh, those prospects probably work with a lot of rigid people. <laughs> it's I think a that was the... That was the point I was trying to make a long time ago, and it took me a long time to get there. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, it makes complete sense. You uh, think about, you know, J J Janie or Johnny, the supply chain manager, sitting in, you know, the corner of the office that's been figuring out how to work out this problem that they're having. And then regardless of why he called, this guy named John called up and made me laugh today. I'll at least remember him. <laughs> yeah, and just a couple of things to think about. 70% of Americans over 35 disengage with their jobs. They, they're mm -hmm. kind of, they're kind of mailing it in. They're just, they got a mortgage, they got kids. They don't know how to transition. They're just there. And this is what I'm doing. And they're resigned to their fate. And some of them have a good attitude about it. And some of them don't, but, but that is a stat that I've, that I've come across 70% of Americans in corporate America are disengaged with their jobs. And uh, I mean, people are just stressed. So if you can make them laugh um, yeah. within that, that 15 seconds where they answer the phone and, and demonstrate something credible, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to de-stress them a little bit just on a personal level versus, Hey, it might not lead to a deal, but it's just, it's just, you're putting some good energy out there, which makes you feel good as a, as a sales rep. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love kind of pulling it back to that level because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many interesting things about that stat because if they're in, I mean, how valuable is that? Because now you can go out and say, all right, well, if 70% of people are disengaged with their job, 
I shouldn't expect many people to be engaged with something that I'm talking about that's going to help them do their job better because they probably don't care about doing their job better. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is, I mean, it's like, know your audience almost, you know, know who the heck you're calling. And, and I think that kind of leads to the next thing that I want to make sure we cover, which is what is a sales tip that a rep can hear from you and then maybe go try out when they get done listening to this short snippet. I don't know if it's a sales tip, but it's, um, you know, as, as my alter ego likes to say quite often on my video series, second opinion, this is a life tip. Um, yes. I think a big challenge today is that people aren't expressing themselves with words. People express themselves with photos, with selfies, maybe uh, an emoji, mm -hmm. uh, an acronym, but those acronyms are words. They come from words and those words are meant to express certain things. And so I think a great idea for everybody to do is just take, take their customer's problem and just write everything about why it's a problem for their customer. Mm. Just spell it out. Put yourself in your prospect shoes way more than, you know, your script is allowing you to. And, and just, I don't know, go through one of the case studies on your website and just learn everything about that prospect and what they were struggling with and find five different ways to say it build up your own vocabulary your own ability to speak to humans because i go to a lot of websites and i mean we're living in this this jargon buzzwordy driven age and i know marketing and sometimes sales leadership thinks this is the language we need to use yeah. but our customers and our prospects they're, they're just not they might mean all that stuff but they're not necessarily saying it yeah. at, at a human level so Learn how to break things down in a more human, relatable way. Try and get rid of all the buzzwords, unless it's just this super impactful one that, you know, is necessary. I'm not telling you to scrub everything. Yeah. But, you know, if we look at terms like uh, enhancement and engagement and, um, you know, I don't know what other, no, no other buzzwords are springing <laughs> to mind, but like, uh, just figure out how, go to the thesaurus and find like 10 new ways to say things. Yeah. And just learn how to say it at that more human level and that that's just the biggest thing i think that um younger sales reps in particular uh it's a skill that they should really work on you know two three times a week yeah um you know just even journalizing maybe get off a call talk about what went right what went wrong what did they tell you use their language my in short i think people need to express themselves a little bit more um, and we have all the tools in the world to do it, whether it's voice notes on our phones, whether it's a, a word doc, mm -hmm. just a pen and paper, grab a pad, journalize. Yeah. And I encourage people to do that and just, just free write, just don't stop. Just get it all out there. Yeah. I love it. And I wish, because I think <clears throat> most sales reps probably feel like, okay, this messaging that I've got here is from marketing. And so this is the right way to say it this is the best way to say it. When in reality, the, the kind of the phrase that comes to mind is use your words. Don't be, a, don't be a toddler sales rep. Use your words. Take the time to think about, sure, you know these bullet point problems, right? That you've gotten from marketing that are in the email messaging. But take the time to think about what that means. Follow, follow, it, follow that problem throughout your prospects day, right? And how it's gonna affect them throughout the day. I mean, when I finally, cause I didn't do that for a long time. 
to be quite honest with you. I just was reading what was on sure. the page and calling it a day. And then when I, what, what changed for me was I, I had the opportunity to, I was working at a company where the type of person I was calling was somebody that I could go speak with at my own company. And so that was a game changer for me because I felt comfortable saying, okay, so the website says we solve this problem, this problem, this problem. I have no clue what this means. Please tell me what that means to you in layman's terms about like your day. And it, and it completely changed everything um, and, and allowed me to, you know, you take that kind of language and, and that knowledge and then you work it into being you know, kind of like we've talked about the entire episode being more relatable and human to your, to your prospect. I think that's, that's a great recipe for uh, making some traction there. Yeah. I mean, the reality is most people selling technology have never really used the products they're selling. They've exactly. never had their prospects jobs. They've never worked in their industry. And that's a, that's a bridge to overcome. And yeah, I was this, I was this guy with an MBA who was talking to CFOs about their planning and budgeting processes. I'd never done, I don't even know what a budget looks like. <laughs> yeah. And I just felt very, I personally felt inauthentic. Yeah. Um, it's a problem. But, but it, it's an issue that, you know, everybody's trying to solve for, I think. Yeah, I also think it's, um, I'm a big fan of companies that have subject matter experts who can really speak to those pain points yes. versus expecting sales reps to know everything because they, they should be expected to know it. If they are selling complicated products and solutions, and, and most larger enterprise tech companies do have this, but I do see and hear about a lot of um, full cycle reps who need to run their own demos, um, they need to run their own discovery, and I just... I'm wondering, is that always the best way to do it? I, I think it's good for sales reps to focus on sales and for um, subject matter experts to demonstrate to the prospects that they have that subject matter expertise in house and that they can solve those problems. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. And so I'm looking at the timer here. I, I, I need to make sure that I ask you the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the lunch break podcast, John, mm. What is your favorite place to eat lunch? Depends on what I have in my freezer because I do love my barbecue. Love it. Um, standing over it, um, allowing the heat to force me to sweat into the barbecue as I eat my steak or piece of fish. That's, that's a great way to do it. Uh, no, my new favorite place is where you live, Raleigh. Yes. Uh, because I'm, I've, I've been there twice now. I dig the food. I've been to only good restaurants, uh, both expensive and of really affordable. Uh, so little tip, the Mecca uh, in yeah. downtown Raleigh has the best deal in town for nine fifty. You get two pieces of fried chicken, rice and gravy. Uh, I order collard greens with Turkey mm. and they give you a biscuit with it. And it's yeah. just like, it's affordable. It's delicious. It comes quick. I think it comes with some sweet tea too. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's a nap on a plate. That's what that is. No, but that's the beauty <laughs> of it. It's not as heavy as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I, that's what I loved about it. It was affordable. They, they, it was delicious. And in fact, I made it a point to walk about a kilometer and a half or a mile uh, from where my meeting was just, just to go get it and have it a second time. Cause the first time I had it was so good. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, well, honored that uh, Raleigh's made it on onto your radar. It's, I'm not saying it's going to be, I love it. I just, I just, I just appreciated what it was that we don't get that kind of stuff here in Montreal and it was just quality. It was affordable. They treated yep. you well. 
the other place I like in Raleigh a lot is Beat Amanda, the low ocean Malaysian oh, yeah. place. A little, a little more upscale, a little, little higher end on the price side, yeah, but yeah. Uh, ab- absolutely delicious. I love it. John, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Lunch Break podcast. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed our conversations both online and offline and, and uh, happy and feel honored that, that you made it on the show. Thanks so much. And uh, before we end, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, best place, best thing to do is just visit johnselig.com, J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G.com. They could email me, J-O-N at J-O-N-S-E-L-I-G.com. They could find me on Instagram or, of course, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place to just connect with me. Screw Instagram. It's not that (laughs) important. If they really want to find me, at improbablecomic.com. And that's, that's kind of it. And I appreciate you having me and allowing me to down my delicious pasta salad uh, during this podcast. Hey, it is the uh, exact thing that we need to be doing here on the Lunch Break Podcast. I might make people start, like, if you're not going to be eating your lunch during the episode, then maybe we just don't do this. Well, that was it. It didn't, it didn't feel very lunchy if I'm not chewing food. And, like, it just didn't feel lunchy at all. <laughs> you could be recording this. I don't know, 3 p.m. or something like that. I'm just yeah. posting it. Who knows what I'm doing over here? Yeah, I like, I like truth in my, in my marketing. <laughs> I love it. John, thanks so much. And, and with that, I'm going to wrap up episode number 27 of the Lunch Break Podcast. Speak to you guys soon.